0: Rescuers, welcome back to Roleplay Rescue, the podcast about rekindling our lost roleplaying hobby. My name's Che Webster. A big part of what makes this show special is the community of discovery that has grown up around it. Through the blog comments, emails, Discord messaging, Patreon support and podcast call-ins, you, the listeners and readers, are what make working on the show a joy and about 80% of the reason why I keep recording and editing episodes. Every call-in gets saved, but not every call-in has space in a regular episode, so every now and then I like to scoop up the messages and present them back as a special Call-In Collective show, acknowledging many thanks to Evil Jeff from Minions and Musings for both the idea and the name Call-In Collective. I love to hear from you and I hope you'll enjoy listening to other listeners' comments and questions this time around. This is Season 11, Episode 12, Call-In Collective. The first set of call-ins are about VTTs, virtual tabletop software apps such as Fantasy Grounds Foundry and Roll20. These were sparked by mention in the GM's journal of my, at that time, ire towards VTTs and comments about how I was happiest with real dice, paper character sheets and using a video conference calling technology such as Zoom to connect friends for online gaming. Arlen Walker of Live from Pelham's Waystand called in with an extensive set of thoughts, and Jason Connolly from Nerds RPG Varietycast also dropped me a line. Let's hear what they had to say.
1: Hey, Che, it's Arlen. I am calling in um, a little bit about your sort of discussion around um, VTT setup and VTT prep. Um, and I'm going to push back a little bit, which is to say that I think... Um, In some ways, what you are describing is not necessary to the VTT experience, but is an expression of kind of, um, in some ways of anxiety and in some ways of habit, um, which I say not to try to call you out, um, but because I think I uh, operate under those same uh, impulses, often and that um, w- what I'm getting at is that I think that you actually don't need nearly as much kind of visual prep and visual design on a, a VTT as it sometimes seems and and in particular having been a player in many, many sessions of... Um, games run with you know top down battle maps with tons of tokens and lots of kind of control of characters and things like that i actually think that some of that kind of um is not just not necessary but sort of counterproductive and i think you got into that a little bit in your discussion with daniel but i I actually think i do think you sort of need something up which is to say um i i that is sort of still a little bit about expectation because I think that sort of speaks to the way that we have kind of been trained to be busy while at the computer, um, and that people, you know, would get on uh, get distracted with other things if you just gave them a blank screen and nothing to stare at um runehammer calls this the the campfire effect the idea of having something in the case of his games he often is playing in person and the idea of having something at the table that everybody can kind of look at and and engage with um and I think there is something to that. Um, I myself often like to put up kind of like collages of a couple of different images that are sort of flavorful and interesting, I think. But I, I don't know that you need to do that kind of really like intense battle map prep and all of that sort of stuff um, to run a good game and and like i said i do think you got into this uh a fair bit with daniel's the way in which that kind of you know top down sort of pawn stance stuff can be sort of counterproductive to investing yourself in the character experience of the character and i think i would be um you know doing myself a disservice if i didn't bring up one of the things that i like to bring up which is that i am um, of the opinion that um, I think one of the things that VTTs have sort of done is that they've kind of convinced some people that role playing is a visual medium, like a film. Um, and I think that's not actually entirely true. I, I guess this is kind of a complicated thing, but basically, and I know this is uh, coming from someone who is deeply biased in favor of uh Storytelling as as writing and as uh, words instead of as visuals, but I don't care. That's how I am, and you guys can deal with that. Um, but I, I think there is a way in which, kind of, in a game where everyone is kind of engaged and and listening and sharing, right? And and listening is a really critical component of this. Um, But that there is something to be said for the value of the game as words that are spoken rather than the game as images on the screen, right? The story that comes out of the tale that is being shared versus the things that are on the screen. Um, So, yeah. I don't know entirely what to do with that, and I also uh, will just be upfront that I know that's a kind of hugely pejorative way to describe styles of play, but I do think there is something um, to that. That at least for me as a player, that I um, am, you know, much more interested in uh, in, a, in that sort of tale telling element than necessarily in the kind of visuals on the screen. Um, And I do think there's a kind of weird way in which some people end up very, very fixated on like visuals as a tool of imagination. Um, And I think that's a complicated thing, which is to say that, It is true that visuals are useful as a tool for directing imagination. But also, I think some of the people that are very into visuals as structure for imagination are far too concerned with the idea that everybody is imagining the same thing rather than allowing for the kind of variety of imagination that I think is central to the kind of shared experience of storytelling that is important for role playing with a group. which, again, is hugely pejorative, and I totally recognize that. But, you know, I've, I've made a resolution to myself to not apologize when I'm right. So if somebody can prove me wrong, I'll apologize. But otherwise, I'm not.
0: Harlan, oh, thank you very much for your thoughts. It's a real shame you got cut off with the – I think you were about to say, I'm not gonna, and I love it. Um, so these calls go back away. They go back to May, I think, late May. And uh, my apologies for it being so long – before i share them on the main show but actually i actually saving these up for an episode on vtt's but it's obviously not germinating quite well enough for me and i just felt that this uh, line of thought was really powerful i very much um agree with you on this idea of the game as a verbal game and i'm really enheartened really to to sort of hear you talk about it in that way and it's what i wanted to share more than anything i've also found that you're right about like you know trying a collage of images or a single image um, just on the VTT and not getting so bogged down in battle maps and tokens and all of that, that shenanigan. What I've personally discovered is it some, it's very much depends where the game's going and what's going on. Sometimes it's a really great place for allowing the players to navigate their way through a little you know, map and... Um, you know in a certain style of game in a certain way of playing um, that's really exciting for a lot of players Um, but you know also there's a place for describing the thing in the theater of the mind as we say and allowing for that just to be verbally constructed as I said my preference is towards verbal interaction so I think it's kind of really interesting thing to start to unpick and I've not heard many people talk about it really Um, so I wanted to Know, share this so again you know if people out there have got thoughts on what arlen was talking about we'd love to hear from you um i guess you could either call into arlen uh, live from palan's wasteland or you know drop me a line and i'll share them maybe i'll even get arlen on to have a chat about it sometime i think that would be great but first jason connolly has got
2: something to say hey jason here listen to your final episode of season 10 the Colin episode i know this might get not get played that's okay but listening to the calls about like VTTs and and then Graham's call you, you know about the immersion stuff and the medium crunch games personally for me i mean i see this the the drift towards technology but i've been pulling back as you know and i kind of prefer to just run the game on a zoom call where you can see the players and hear each other and use dice and and character sheets and not worry about battle maps, although you can do it. I mean, when we did the Barbarians of Lemoria, we did that all through Zoom with the battle maps and everything. But I, I kind of think the technology takes away from the game, and it turns into something else that, that I don't enjoy as much. But, I, I mean, different people's mileage may vary on that. As far as Graham's call, maybe not so much pulling everything behind the screen, but even without it behind the screen, I don't think you need battle maps and VTTs to run these medium crunch games. Maybe you do for 4th edition. I've never played D&D 4th edition. But I know Savage Worlds works perfectly fine, totally in theater of the mind, as well as on a battle grid. You can do either one. So, and Savage Worlds is very definitely a medium crunch. So I don't think you have to have battle grids for all these games, even the Cruncher. Hey Jay, Jason here. Listen to, I think it's 1108, your your latest roleplay rescue. You're talking about rules, systems. Great episode. And I'm going to bounce around a little bit as I try to remember everything that was said in the car calling in. But I agree with you for a large part. I really like what you said about simplifying character creation for new players. I think the tips you gave are really, really good. I agree with you that the rule system really matters for the world, but also for emulating the genre, right? I also am a big proponent of playing the rules before judging the rules, because there are rule sets out there that play a lot better than they read. And finally, you talk about, you know, in Answering a Caller about skill systems and maybe look at, like, ICRPG or something. Interestingly enough, ICRPG, the base game, will support Call of Cthulhu or, like, a Delta Green game. There are horror rules, sanity rules in in the Master Edition, in the second edition as well. But there's also... An offshoot of ICRPG called Blacklight you can find it on Drive RPG, And Blacklight is effectively ICRPG Delta Green. So that game is out there. Thank you for your show. Thank you for all that you do, Che. I really appreciate it. I look forward to the next one.
0: so a great bunch of comments there from jason thank you and segueing us towards rules with a comment on past episode about game rules uh next section is um, a collection of stuff around gURPS as a game sets so some of these go back a long way actually a couple of questions that kind of got scooped up along the way and have you know built up the more recent episode um my defense of gURPS that you know that's generated quite a few thoughts so uh yeah let's get into it
3: well, you've done it now, haven't you? You've poked the bear, kicked the hornet's nest. Uh, there's probably more, but I don't know anymore. Uh, oh, yeah, maybe you. No, I guess you're not living in a glass house, so you didn't throw a rock. A rolling stone wakes up in time to catch two birds in a bush? No. Anyway. You went and did it. You basically declared war on GURPS haters across the universe. The multiverse, because of course GURPS doesn't have a built-in setting. It has (laughs) Multiverses, <laughs> multi-settings, multi—I don't know, uni. No. Um, anyway, good luck with that. <laughs> I'm glad you, to see you finally adopting Gerps as your system.
1: Hey, me hey, Just
2: calling me about your. Uh latest episode on uh, Gerps and character creation. I think you make some excellent points. Very interesting episode. Um, and I really like the solutions that you offer to the, to the issue uh, because I do feel like they're um, like Jason Connolly says, they apply to like things like Savage Worlds as well. It's not just GURPS. Um, so that's good. And uh, yeah. Um, I look forward to hearing more episodes like this and, you know, keep up the great work. Have a great day. Dean mine. H.A. Jason here. Listen to 11.6 of Roleplay Rescue as I yank the cord out of my cell phone as I'm charging it. But I just want to say that as far as GURPS adventures goes, you know, GURPS also people talk about how many GURPS source books there are. And there are GURPS has tons and tons and tons of wonderful, wonderful source books. Every single one of those source books contains a ton of adventure seeds. I'd have to pick one up and go through it, but, I mean, there are adventure seeds for multiple variants of each setting book. In each setting book, they have variants of each setting, and each of those has, you know, at least three, if not a, you know, half a dozen adventure seeds in there. So every single adventure, when you look at all those GERP setting books out there, folks, there are a whole bunch of adventure seeds and adventure ideas in you know, all those. The difference is with GURPS, instead of giving it to you all done, completed, like an avant- adventure path from Pathfinder, or a D&D module, they're just giving you the seeds and having you build on that. Now, that's true of a lot of other games, too. Savage Worlds does something similar with with their games, where they give you bullet points, and you just build your adventure off that, but you, you need to flesh it out. And the same thing with, with all the things in the setting books, you have to flesh that out. But there's no lack of adventure ideas and adventure seeds throughout the whole of the GURPS publications.
4: Hello, Jay. Brian calling in from way down here in the Queensland. I've listened to episode ten of this season on GURPS, and I, you know, it's uh, I, I, I think some of the reasons you like GURPS come across, but you know, you can you can take more of a stand. You can be a little more forceful if you'd like. It's all right. We're among friends. <laughs> All kidding aside, um, I, I am one of those people who, I think I've said before, I, I remember GURPS, so I was definitely aware of it. I was a really big Car Wars fan and uh, kind of a fan of off and on playing with some other Steve Jackson games. Just never got into GURPS, and I don't think it was anything to do with GURPS itself, just my gaming at the time. So I am firmly in the camp of wanting to try it and i really should commit to it so maybe in the coming months when i have a better sense of my travel and home schedule i'll ping you on the discord and maybe see about setting up some times to run uh some gurps to try it out you know it's it's also one of those things that i you know the, it, i think it gets to something deeper that mm, i i not that i get annoyed with um and i should probably back that up and explain because i'm not i'm not putting this right way because I think some of the issues that may be raised with GURPS may be less about GURPS than just general gaming gripes. What I mean is when you may get pushback against GURPS and the comments on the system, the difficulty, the points, and I I think you put forth, all joking aside, you you pretty easily refute uh, maybe some of the misconceptions about GURPS or outline how... It easily stands up against any given game in terms of either complexity or or simplicity, if you want to put it that way. And, And all I mean to say is, you're right. Is like many of the people who may raise concerns and say it's too difficult or these are things that I don't just get probably play more difficult systems. So I always think that some of these comments are really more just it just gets to the core of what either people are familiar with, the type of complexity they're familiar with. Maybe a fear of the unknown. And, and maybe in, in relation to gerps, maybe it's the idea of a universal system. And although you're playing it applied to some specific genre, setting, etc., it could be that there are some people that have to game in a certain setting. And not necessarily a certain intellectual property, but game in a, a world such as Dungeons and Dragons, that although there are many settings, it has a certain feel, trope, etc. And I'm not sure if if this is really a barrier. I always sense it may be for some people. I, and in some ways, I know that I've been guilty of this. I'm less so now, only because... I guess my attitude is a little bit more liberal. I'm willing to, I, I'm willing to go along and play with anything. I realize, though, I may not get as deep into the rules as others in the group, and then I have to see just how the game progresses. But I'm willing to, you know, try a new system or even play a system that may not be my favorite, in a sense, just to play. And I know there are a few others like this. Uh, Jason's talked about this more, you know, stressing more of the social gaming aspect, and that's how I play. But I, I think your points to you know, being able to kind of create your world and customize it, but still using a rule set that once you get into it is easy to follow. It, it, to me, it sounds like that's what GURPS was designed to do, and that's how it runs. Uh, I think for me, I just need to <laughs> get to the table and, and play it. I guess the last case in point is obviously 5 e is the big dog, but the explosion of 5e type games in other settings I guess just shows you that, you know, people are willing to apply that to many settings where it may not work as well because they're familiar with it, difficulty aside, in the sense, trying to make it universal when maybe there are better ways. Cheers. Hey,
2: Jason here calling in about role play rescue 1110 in defensive or choosing as hard in defensive GURPS. I, I think that was a good, well balanced episode. I, I think you presented it well. I'm not sure that I really have. Anything to add to, to that? Um, it's a shame that if a GM picks a system like GURPS, or even to some degree Savage Worlds, that has a laundry list of you know edges and flaws and and whatever they're called in the various systems, that they need to pare it down. But you know, just to make it easier on the players, it it should be really the part of the player's job as well although if you have a certain world view it i guess it does behoove you as the gm to give a curated list to the players w- when they sign up for the game which will help eliminate you from having to worry about no that one's not appropriate for my game no that one's not appropriate for my game you know if the players have access to the entire list um but but yeah i, th- I think that's it i mean if a player wants to play in a game, then they need to step up and have a certain amount of commitment, and and I guess that's how you you separate the people that really want to be in the group and the people that don't. If they don't want to put the time and effort into make the character, then maybe the game's not for them.
0: Whole bunch of great comments there. Thank you very much to uh, Weeb and Jason and Brian, especially coming back to. Jason's last comment, actually. I just wanted to talk a little bit about curating the GURPS choices. Because GURPS is a generic universal role-playing system, there are literally hundreds of choices in there. And I think it is actually required of a GM in any setting. If Even if you were playing a sort of modern-day game, completely mundane, you would need to specify that exotic and supernatural abilities, advantages and disadvantages, powers, psionics, all of that was out of the range of player choice but I also think it's really useful to go into things like the skill list and think well you know the way I want to play do I really want all of the skills that are available because I think what's often missed is this is a toolkit and you do not need everything in it you know taking every tool to the job isn't always the best plan and I think um, as an analogy that's really useful for GURPS to think like well actually what do I need and I know that GM Shadow uh, Barry on the GM Shadow podcast, uh, Shadow of the GM, sorry, podcast has um, you know made similar comments that uh, y- you can really strip Gerps down to a very minimalistic set of choices and rules if you want to, and there's just absolutely no damage done to the game. It is going to be very cool. Of course, you know it's down in the end to taste, and I guess. What I'm trying to get at is saying, well, I'm wanting to build a very specific world. I'm going to use this game system to do it because I can really customise what I want. And when players come to the table, I'm asking them to engage with that. And um, it's nothing more than that, really. Except, of course, maybe people don't like the idea of playing in something that is unique, that is not the regular kind of game. I don't know. Anyway, had an old question now from Weeb
2: today. Let's uh, again. I guess I'm just all about the GURPS. I have all these questions. So, this question, can you play GURPS without using hexes? Can you use square grids instead of hex grids for combat and whatever? Thanks. Game on.
0: The short answer would be, of course you can. Of course, GURPS itself has a combat grid set of rules based on a hex grid kind of set of Assumptions, really. So, it's much easier to use GURPS with a battle mats that are on hexes because the rules were already written for you. It wouldn't be very difficult, however, to move it onto squares. I've actually done it a few times, and all you really need to think about is facing there. And of course, you just need to sort of make some rulings around that. I found it quite easy to decide what was the front side and rear of the figure on a square. So I don't think it takes a lot of thought. And, of course, you can play GURPS without a grid altogether. It's designed to be played Theatre of the Mind. The combat chapter and the tactical combat chapter are completely separate in GURPS' basic set campaigns. So, you know, make your rules work however you want them to, I guess. I will also say there's also an even simpler cut set of combat rules that are the back of characters. to a really, really simple system, and uh, it's a great place to start. Hope that helps. On to the next stuff. Hello,
4: Che. It's Brian. Uh, listening to the Imagine Places First, Episode 6, this approach strikes me as now completely obvious, but also something that I don't know that I've ever done. And I don't know that I've ever been in a group that has done this. Typically, even with people that we know, we get together to play a certain game which is usually a certain rule set and and maybe the world with that or at least genre so maybe it's dungeons and dragons and then further codified by an adventure or maybe a setting etc so it's i guess now it strikes me as a little bit strange that i don't think to do this first especially if you're looking at either players that are completely new to role playing or in this case, maybe new to a certain system that you're going to run. And instead of just launching into the system, you start with the place or the world. And again, this, this is definitely evident in the open table that you've been doing with us, but it does strikes me as something that would be, more beneficial to try and probably more enjoyable because I think once you get to the point where you've agreed on the world or at least you 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 you've started you've started maybe to flesh out the world and, and agreed on the place and agreed on the type most people are not going to be as concerned with the rules of minutia although ironically many of us that's what we tend to, to drift towards first to either tinker play with etc one th- final thought I had in listening to this and it may be a bit different approach. I think i posted it in the discord but one of the just best conversations on world building i listened to was actually part of a podcast and i think at the point it was the ezra klein show but specifically it was an interview with nk jameson uh fantasy science fiction author and instead of a normal interview it was literally building a world so it was kind of a world building discussion and I've listened to it probably two or three times. I have not listened to it recently. So I think this may be getting a little bit more from a top-down kind of a what, what types of things at a macro level we want in the world, but still relevant. So maybe, you know, this is instead of individual people, what they might like to do uh, with a character or a setting, this kind of approaches it from the maybe from the top down, but still extremely relevant because it just opens things up. I think to a much wider range of possibilities than many of us consider, or at least me, at least that I consider for my RPGs. So, anyway, yeah, that was a it just sparked that in my mind. And again, it, you know, building worlds for whether it's fantasy writing or you know fantasy gaming, and by fantasy I'm including sci-fi and all offshoots in that. Uh, this is a much much more interesting approach.
1: Hey Jay, it's Weeb. Just a comment on uh, GM's Journal 134 um you talk about how for for the third edition you would only want to use the core rules and not all the uh, supplemental material and quite frankly that's how i feel about a lot of games uh i feel like there's so many options out there in just the core rule books that it drives me crazy when players want to be like oh can i use the newest thing in whatever splat book and it's like dude, I haven't even digested the core rules completely. You're telling me that there's no cool combination of things that you could do in the core rules that you need to have a brand new shiny, shiny? Anyway, that's it. Game on, brother.
0: Big thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us again next time. As you know, I love to hear from you. If you've got a question or comment, then please hop over to speakpipe.com slash rescue where you can leave a 90-second message. Thanks to Brian from I'll Have to Look That Up, Jason from the Nerds RPG Variety Cast, Jason Weeb, Arlen Walker of Live from Pellons Wasteland, and Frank Turfler for all of the call-ins today. Thanks also to the Roleplay Rescue patrons who support the show through patreon.com slash rpgrescue and to John from Tale of the Manticore for the show music. My name is Che Webster. This is Roleplay Rescue. I hope you're well, and I'll see you again next time. Game on.